listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. everyone. My name is Emily Lapine, and I am a clinical assistant professor at Binghamton University School of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical Sciences, and you are listening to Locked On Pharmacy. Hey, this is Todd. You're a founder of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. I am honored to be a co-host on Locked On Pharmacy. This is the podcast that's dedicated to our profession by the American Pharmacists Association, the APHA, We are so proud of the APHA and how it has transformed and helping to transform the profession of pharmacy. Today is an interesting topic because in my history in pharmacy, I was involved in the world of opioid use disorder treatment through 82 centers throughout the country that it was my job as director of strategy to go to some hospital systems and find pharmacists that were part of their emergency room departments for people that were experiencing overdoses or had been narcan and then we were trying to do the right things for them, especially when it, when it came to getting them into treatment. Pharmacists were so critical to that process, and it's been near and dear to my heart because I just understood the disease state better based on the explanation and just being in that industry. So APHA has been uh, a wonderful conduit of education. Today, we're going to be talking about you know, control substances, including opioids, um, medical cannabis, um, prescribed um, anything for pain management, chronic pain, urine drug screens are often used in clinical practice to test the presence of prescribed drugs to monitor compliance. And what I want today is, is I want us all to understand how to appropriately interpret results of urine drug screening, which is critical to providing effective patient care and maintaining patient trust. Pharmacists are trusted for a reason as the top most trusted healthcare professional, or some some of the surveys show us as second or third, um, the pharmacist. And the various practice settings, we're talking about senior care, specialty, community, urine drug screenings are gonna have a, gonna be packed full of data. And we wanna bring in people um, in today that, that really understand this. Today, it's no different. Um, Dr. Emily, I'm so glad that you're here, that you're able to present and and help us um, get the latest information on this. Uh, Say hello to our listeners and give us a little background on yourself. Sure. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Um, So I am a clinical assistant professor at Binghamton University in the School of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical Sciences. And part of my role there is that I maintain a practice site at Lord's Pain Care, which is affiliated with one of our um, local hospital networks. And there I work as a pharmacist, part of the interdisciplinary team to provide care to patients with chronic pain um, who are prescribed uh, a number of various controlled substances, whether that uh, is opioids for pain management or um, various um, psychotropics for mental health or for insomnia, um, chronic fatigue, other um, conditions that may coincide 
in patients who have chronic pain. And so I work there um, to optimize medication therapy and to ensure that the medications we are using in our patients are not only effective, but also safe. And part of how we do that is through urine drug screening. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. So first of all, what is the difference between urine drug screening and urine drug testing? This is peculiar to me because when, like I was saying, as director of strategy of of the medication assisted treatment centers that I was part of, I remember drug screenings being a part of their beginnings of their um, of their treatment, but then ongoing every once in a while, they would engage in either a drug screening or a drug test. So tell tell our listeners the differences between the two. Yes, this is a great question. And oftentimes, um, these these two statements, urine drug screening or urine drug testing, are used interchangeably, but they truly are two different um, types of urine drug monitoring. So urine drug monitoring is this overarching umbrella, and underneath that, we have urine drug screening and urine drug testing. When we think of a urine drug screen, we're thinking of a point of care um, urine drug sample that's provided in a test cup that gives you immediate results. It's usually completed in the office. We see results within minutes. um, And the cup basically uses an immunoassay screen in order to provide these results. And there are various different um, screening cups that are available, um, and we can certainly get into that. But the urine drug screen is usually in office. It's um, We get results quickly, um, but it is presumptive, meaning that there is the possibility of false positives or false negatives. So we do need to keep that in mind, and, and I'm sure we'll get to that. But um, on the contrary, urine drug testing is definitive, okay? It uses chromatography in a laboratory. The test is very specific, um, but we usually don't see results until maybe a couple of days to a week until after the urine sample is provided. Now, when we do a urine drug testing or what we may also cause um, call confirmatory analysis is the risk of false positive or false negative is very rare, um, highly unlikely to occur with a urine drug test. So we often use both in practice, just depending on what we're doing, what we're looking for. But that's the difference between screening and testing, and both of these fall under this larger umbrella of urine drug monitoring. All right, Emily, but what about another layer? Um, what is what is urine drug monitoring for substance use disorders? Um, tell us the difference between that point of care urine drug screening and laboratory uh, urine drug testing. Sure. So when we're thinking about urine drug monitoring, if you know how we approach it is going to be different if we're using it to um, for chronic pain to confirm um, the presence of prescribed substances, or if we're using it for substance use disorders um, to not only maybe we are prescribing treatment, but so to look for um, use of our prescribed medications, but also looking for the possibility of patients who are also using illicit substances. 
And, you know, the results from urine drug screening or urine drug testing are not meant to be punitive, right? It's it's not designed for us to try and go out and catch the patient doing something. Instead, it's to make sure that what we're doing is safe for our patient. So if we're thinking about substance use disorders, our patients may be using illicit substances off the street, but we don't know what may actually be contained within those substances. And so it by performing a urine drug screen, we can at least get maybe a, a more nonspecific look at what a patient may be using. So for example, um, the urine drug screen could test for opiates, but it doesn't tell me what opiate a patient may be using. So if they're using heroin, it's not going to identify whether or not the patient's heroin has been mixed with fentanyl. Whereas a urine drug test, I can piece out exactly which opiates a patient may be using. So I may be able to see heroin, fentanyl, and their metabolites, but it also allows me to get a more definitive result in terms of what other substances a patient may be using. You know, there's, um, we can test for xylazine or kratom, um, things that aren't necessarily able to be tested for with a urine drug screen, um, with a urine drug screen cup. Okay. So there's a lot of different options depending on the collaboration, the treatment moving forward, the physician and specialist and the pharmacist working together. Let's talk about the different options. So there are there are these urine drug monitoring tests. What's the difference between the various urine drug screening panels? I remember once again hearing about pharmacogenomics testing and they always talked about panels and someone would say, oh, it's a full panel. And I'm like, okay, I'm not sure what that means. But in urine drug screening, we have the five panels, the 10 panels, the 14 panels. Can you give our listeners um, the differences and usage between those? Absolutely. So um, depending on what you're looking for, you're going to want to use a different screening cup um, with different panels. And you're right. There's a five panel, seven, 10, 12, 13, 14 panel. The five panel tests for your basic substances, uh, THC, which is found in uh, marijuana or cannabis products, cocaine, opiates, PCP, and amphetamines. Whereas your 14 panel tests for not only those same five substances, THC, cocaine, opiates, PCP, and amphetamines, but you can also um, see benzodiazepines, barbiturates, methadone, um, Quaaludes, ecstasy, oxycodone, fentanyl, buprenorphine. So you have a more variety of substances that you can screen for um, when you use a 14 panel screening cup versus a five panel screening cup. So depending on what substance you're looking for is going to depend on what screening panel cup you're going to want to use. So if you're only looking for THC, or you're only looking for opiates, it's very easy um, to use a five-panel urine drug screen. But if we are prescribing buprenorphine or prescribing methadone 
for substance use disorders, then we need to use a higher panel screen where we can test for those or where we can a higher panel screen where we can assess whether or not um, that substance is there. Now, when we use a urine drug test, there's no such thing as panels because when we send it to the lab um, for chromatography analysis, we just check off which substances you want. So you can check off anywhere from one to, you know, 14, 15, 18 different substances, depending on what you're looking for. All right. So application in, I really, maybe it should be more kind of like leveraged as to how should the urine drug monitoring be performed? Can you describe that to the listeners? Sure. So there are different recommendations and, and it usually depends on risk. So when we think about how often we should be um, we should be performing a urine drug screen or performing a urine drug monitoring, we think about the risk of a patient. At a bare minimum, we should be at least getting a urine drug screen on an annual basis. As the risk of a patient increases, the frequency may also increase. And you're probably thinking, well, what do I mean by risk? Yep. So how do you assess risk? So risk basically depends on um, the patient's risk of using illicit substances, patient's risk of um, developing a substance use disorder. So oftentimes we think about if a patient has either current or past use of illicit substances, um, we may want to um, perform a urine drug screen more frequently. If the patient is prescribed multiple different controlled substances, so maybe they're prescribed um, opioids, benzodiazepines, um, Z drugs or non-benzodiazepine receptor agonists, Maybe they're also prescribed a gabapentinoid. We may want to perform urine drug monitoring more frequently to assess appropriate use of these substances. Now, there are various screening tools that are available. So there's the DAS-10, which is the drug abuse screening test. There's an opioid risk tool. Um, there's also a SOAP-R um, assessment, which is screener and opioid assessment for patients with pain. So um, regardless of, of the indication, whether we're using these substances for pain or treatment of substance use disorder, how we assess risk stays the same. And so how frequently we are going to monitor is going to be dependent upon that risk. If the patient has a high risk, we may want to assess at least quarterly or maybe even monthly. There's no one right or wrong timeline and how frequently you should test, right? As I said, a minimum of at least annually, but um, more frequent monitoring may be necessary if we do have concerns about the medications the patient is prescribed or the possible risk of a patient using illicit substances. Emily, something that I've learned from pharmacists over the years is the element of metabolism and how metabolism impacts patients' response to medications. So let's get into that as well. How does metabolism of opioids and benzodiazepines impact urine drug screening and testing results? 
So this is a very important topic that is near and dear to my heart. Um, in terms of the urine drug screen, when we're using the screening cup, it's only going to show positive for opiates. We don't know what opiate, or it's only going to show positive for benzodiazepines, and we don't know which benzodiazepine. But we know that the presence of, of a substance under those classes of medications is there. Now, when we send that out to do a urine drug test, right, your confirmatory analysis, it's going to be able to tell us the presence of drugs. Now, metabolism is very important because you may see the presence of metabolites that are also commercially available drugs. So, for example, if a patient is prescribed morphine, we would expect to see on a urine drug test morphine, the parent compound, and then the metabolites normorphine, but also we may see hydromorphone, which is commercially available, or hydrocodone, which is commercially available. Now, to somebody looking at this saying, oh, wow, this patient's using morphine, hydromorphone, and hydrocodone, they're abusing their medications, we can no longer prescribe. Well, wait a minute, we have to back up because morphine can be metabolized to hydromorphone and can be metabolized to hydrocodone. So that's actually normal. I would um, I would expect to see those substances present in the patient's urine, but that doesn't mean that the patient is actually using those products. And so this becomes a challenge when we interpret urine drug test results is that we have to be very careful about what this drug is metabolized to. Oxycodone, for example, is metabolized to oxymorphone. So if a patient is prescribed oxycodone, I would suspect that they their urine shows positive for oxycodone and oxymorphone. But oxymorphone is a commercially available product, does not mean the patient is using that substance. And the same thing goes for benzodiazepines. So diazepam is metabolized to temazepam, which is then metabolized to oxazepam. All of those substances are commercially available benzodiazepines, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the patient is using a whole array of benzodiazepine drugs. It's understanding metabolism and, and trying to interpret what you should expect is there. So if a, if a clinician or a provider is unaware of the metabolites that are expected to be present as in the result of the urine drug test, what may happen is we may implement punitive measures to a patient when that is truly not necessary. So understanding how opiates and benzodiazepines are metabolized is certainly going to be critical when interpreting a urine drug test. Okay, earlier you mentioned false positives or false negative drug screen results. Can you provide some examples of medications that may cause a false positive on a urine drug screen? And I was also thinking, are there any medications patients with chronic pain may be co-prescribed that can result in a false positive result? Yes. So false positives is basically when a substance that is not the substance we're screening for results in a positive screen. Now, remember when we're doing a chromatography urine drug test, the, the risk of 
false positives or false negatives is very, very rare. This is more likely to occur with a urine drug screen or that point of care screening cup. Now, um, ibuprofen or naproxen, chronic, you know, um, medicate or common medications that are used for pain may actually cause a false positive or be a cross reactant for barbiturates. So when we're looking at the urine drug screening cup, we may see positive for barbiturates, but really it's a false positive because the presence of ibuprofen or naproxen is resulting in that positive screen. Um, there are various substances that can cross-react with opioids or opiates, right? So chlorpromazine, um, which is an antipsychotic, dextromethorphan, doxylamine. So some of these over-the-counter drugs that are commonly used for cough and cold. Um, quetiapine, another antipsychotic, can be a cross-reactant and cause a false positive for methadone. Um, a lot of patients with pain may have trouble sleeping, may have a concomitant or comorbid um, mental health condition, and so they may be prescribed an antipsychotic as an adjunct to antidepressant therapies for treating depression. And so quetiapine can cause this false positive for methadone, and then um, another unique drug, cyclobenzaprine, which is a muscle relaxant, can result in a false positive for tricyclic antidepressants. So cyclobenzaprine has a um, structure that is similar to amitriptyline and may cause a false positive with tricyclic antidepressants. Now, if you, if a clinician saw a urine drug screen that was positive for something we weren't expecting. So let's say we weren't expecting the patient to be positive for opioids, or we weren't expecting the patient to screen positive for barbiturates. That's when we would want to take the step further, send that out for urine drug testing to get a confirmatory analysis. But unfortunately, a lot of the drugs that we use for pain or in patients who have chronic pain may cross-react with some of these other substances we may be screening for. Emily, um, what is a false negative? What may cause a false negative during a urine drug screen? So a false negative is when you would expect the urine drug screen to show positive for a substance, but instead it shows negative. So let's say a patient is prescribed a benzodiazepine but their urine drug screen shows a negative for a benzodiazepine. That potentially could be a false negative. Um, and so things that may cause false negative are dilute urine, and that could be either intentional or unintentional, right? So overhydration, increasing fluid intake, which can happen during the summer months. Patients are commonly dehydrated when it's warmer out. So they begin to overhydrate with fluids, diluting the urine. Urine drug screens have a higher cutoff level. So there is more, there is a there is a risk of false, there's a higher risk of false negatives because the urine detection window um, has a higher cutoff threshold. Um, so overhydration can certainly 
be a common cause of diluting urine, resulting in a false negative. Other possible causes could be low urine drug concentration. So if the if the medication is a prodrug that needs to be metabolized, then in the patient has um, is a poor metabolizer, we may see a lower urine drug concentration. If the patient's using a medication as needed and they didn't use it prior to screening, the urine drug screen may show negative, but the patient may just not have used it in a few days. So there are some possible causes of these false negatives. But again, if there's something that you are not suspecting to see on the urine drug screen, then we should always send it out to have the urine drug test performed, which is much more definitive. All right. You mentioned the drug detection window. What is the urine drug detection window for various substances such as um, alcohol, uh, marijuana, benzodiazepines, um, opioids. What What is that? Yes, great question. So alcohol is present in the urine for about 7 to 12 hours after a patient ingests that substance. Okay. So we would see um, alcohol um, test positive in the urine for maybe about 10 to 12 hours the next day. Now, benzodiazepines have a have a variable detection time because it depends on their half-life. Some benzodiazepines have a very short half-life, whereas some have a long half-life. So a shorter half-life drug, maybe like alprazolam, we may only see that in the urine for about three days. Whereas diazepam, which has a very long half-life and, and has a metabolite, that's active, that also has a very long half-life, we may see that show positive in the urine for 30 days after ingestion. So benzodiazepines depend on the specific substance that's being used. Marijuana is tricky. Uh, marijuana really depends on how frequently the patient is using it. If the patient uses a single dose of marijuana, we may see that present for one to three days. If the patient is a chronic user um, using marijuana daily for months on end, we may see the detection time be 30 days or more in the in the urine. Now, and, and with chronic use, it's important to note that THC stores in our adipose tissue. So it is leached out of the adipose tissue over time. And so it can linger even after the patient has stopped using it if they were a chronic daily user. Um, but more short-term use or infrequent use, we may only see it present in the urine for a few days. Opioids are hard to say because it's going to depend on the specific opioid. So we may be able to detect heroin for up to two or three days, whereas methadone is similar to marijuana in that it stores in our adipose tissue, our adipose cells, and it's leached over time. So methadone could be positive in a patient's urine for anywhere from three to seven days. Methadone also has a very long half-life ranging anywhere from six to 56, 60 hours. 
So methadone is certainly variable. If a patient only uses a dose or two, maybe on the shorter detection window time, whereas if patient has been using methadone for an extended period of time, we may still see it linger around in the urine after discontinuation. So um, that's also important to know that if a patient was using methadone for a few months and then stopped, we may still see positive detection in a urine drug screen even after the patient discontinued the drug. So not only is it important to know about the metabolism of these substances, but it's also important to know about the detection time and when we would expect that drug to clear the patient's body. Okay, so I, I'm thinking as we're progressing in this conversation, what our listeners should be aware of, uh, urine discolorization comes up. Um, should clinicians be aware of any medications that could cause uh, urine discoloration? Yes, so urine discoloration is something that patient, or excuse me, is something that clinicians should be aware of because if we all of a sudden um, get a urine drug screen back or we get a urine sample that has a blue tinge, we're gonna say, wait a minute, did you do something to this urine? Are, are you trying to, um, you know, are you trying to alter your urine so we don't detect something? But medications can cause urine discoloration. So um, amitriptyline, which is commonly used for pain, um, indomethacin, so NSAID used for pain, and methocarbamol, a muscle relaxant, can all cause a bluish-green colored urine. And so some of the drugs that we're using to treat pain can cause urine discoloration. Um, and so it is very important for clinicians to know, wait a minute, their urine may actually be tinged a different color due to a drug that they're using, not because they're trying to doctor or falsify a urine drug screen. So understanding what medications a patient is using and what medications can cause urine discoloration is certainly important, again, to prevent implementing measures when a patient truly um, has not, you know, falsified their urine. Yep. Okay. You know, someone with your experience has seen a bunch of instances of, of patient interaction and, and drug screen data results. And so what I'm thinking is based on your experience, what urine drug screening workarounds are out there that, that we want our listeners to be aware of that a patient may try to prevent a positive test result including home remedies, synthetic urine, substitutions of someone else's urine, for goodness sakes. What what have you seen out there? So there are some possible workarounds and there are ways that clinicians can work around those workarounds. Um, so yes, a patient could always substitute with another patient's urine. That is a possibility. Um, patients could try to dilute their own urine by adding um, some water or adding bleach or vinegar to the urine to try and dilute that. So that way the urine drug screen doesn't show positive for a specific substance. Um, some of the uh, local smoke shops may also sell synthetic urine. 
um, that can be purchased for patients to use. Now, we do need to give patients the benefit of the doubt, right? And we shouldn't accuse them unless there is um, evidence as to that, that the patient may have done something to falsify their urine. Now, things that we can do. So in my clinic, for example, um, in the bathroom, we are able to turn the water off. So the patient cannot dilute their urine with sink or toilet water. We dye the toilet water blue, so that way if the patient was to try to use toilet water to dilute their urine, their urine would come back as being blue. Um, so that's something we could do. And, and, and that's not to say we're accusing patients. We do that for every single patient we collect a urine drug screen for. Now, you could, if you were suspicious that the patient was doing something to falsify their urine drug screen, you can always send it out for a confirmatory urine drug test. The urine drug test would be able to, you know, identify specific gravity, temperature, um, various, uh, you know, perform various analyses to make sure that what is what is in front of them is urine and that the urine is not diluted to cause a false negative. Now, with urine drug testing, the cutoff threshold is much lower than what we see with a urine drug screen. So a urine drug test may still be able to pick up the presence of a substance, even if that urine is diluted. Of course, if we're concerned that a patient is using somebody else's urine or purchased synthetic urine, um, watching the patient uh, perform the urine drug screen is an option as well. Now, but again, we need to make sure that we have, we don't just intrude and say, hey, I'm going to watch you perform your urine drug screen. You know, we need to go through various measures to make sure that we also are providing our patients with trust and respect. But these are some things that clinicians should be aware of. But if there's ever any concern about a urine drug screen, it's always just safe to send it out for a urine drug test. Emily, when we started talking, we talk about that trust level, and there's reasons that people just trust their pharmacists. Um, and, and part of that is the respect that you're talking about, the sincerity that comes from our provider um, pharmacist. In your case, in all of your experience, how did you approach, how do you approach or start a conversation with people that you're working with whose urine uh, tested positive for a non-prescribed substance? This is a great question, an important question. So remember in the beginning, I said that urine drug screens are presumptive, right? They are, there is the risk of false positives. There is, the, there is a risk of false negatives. So anytime there is something on a urine drug screen that we don't suspect, you should always send it out for a confirmatory urine drug test. Urine drug tests are more definitive. So when we're thinking about having a conversation with our patient, we never wanna base a conversation off of the result of a urine drug screen. So I may talk to the patient and say, Todd, your urine drug screen showed positive for a benzodiazepine we are not prescribing a benzodiazepine. Can you tell me if you've used any substances recently um, that were not prescribed to you? And I'm letting the patient tell me, right? So I, I am not, instead, I, I don't, what I don't wanna do is I don't wanna walk in there and say, Todd, 
Your urine tested positive for benzodiazepines. We don't prescribe benzodiazepines. You're discharged from our practice. Uh, we'll no longer be seeing you as a patient. That's not, that's what you shouldn't do, right? We should have a conversation. Let the patient know what we found. I let the patient know, you know, if the patient says, Emily, I, ha I, I, I swear I haven't used any other substances. I say, okay, we're going to send it out for confirmatory analysis. There is always a risk of false positives with our urine drug screening. So we're going to send it out for a confirmatory test and we'll revisit this conversation um, once we get those results. Now, patient may say, oh, yes, Emily, unfortunately, you know, I, I was out of town over the weekend. I was feeling very anxious. I, I was traveling and my mother, brother, sister, friend, somebody uh, gave me something to help calm me down. And, and then we have a conversation about why it's not safe to do that, right? It's not safe to use somebody else's medication uh, because we don't know if it's going to interact with the medication that you're using or if it's going to act, interact with a um, disease that that patient may have. And so then we provide education. We don't immediately turn the patient away. We don't want to, you know, be punitive. We want to educate the patient and have a conversation with the patient as to why they shouldn't be doing that. Now, if this behavior is repeated, where we continuously see that the patient is using substances that are not prescribed to them or using illicit substances, then we need to maybe shift our conversation and talk about treatment for that specific substance use disorder um, and, and provide the patient with resources that are available. So maybe, um, you know, a list of local AA or NA meetings or, um, various online support groups or resources that we can get the patient connected with. But when it comes to a urine drug screen, we never want to make decisions off of the urine drug screen. If it's something we are not expecting, we send it out for confirmatory analysis, and we always give the patient the opportunity to explain what happened. And we trust that patient unless proven otherwise. Emily, this has been an amazing uh, information packed discussion. Thank you so much. I do have one final question. We know that the role of the pharmacists are expanding. I've been in pharmacy now for about 20 years. I've seen new roles uh, coming out of different sectors, rare diseases, senior care, consultancy, community. So what roles can pharmacists play in urine drug monitoring in various practice settings? This is a great question. Um, and it's very important to know that all pharmacists can play a role, um, even if they're not directly involved in, you know, the a pain clinic or a substance use disorder clinic. Um, but pharmacists can first and foremost provide education. So pharmacists can provide education to um, other clinicians, other providers, other pharmacists about the differences between urine drug screening, urine drug testing, provide education on metabolism of opioids or benzodiazepines to help improve interpretation of these urine drug tests. Um, pharmacists can also screen for risks, right? So we mentioned that at a minimum, patients should, be, um, should have urine drug monitoring performed at least annually, but pharmacists can review the prescription drug monitoring program or the PDMP. 
um, review whether or not a patient is using concomitant medications that may increase their risk, right? We talked about benzodiazepines, um, non-benzodiazepine agonists, opioid therapy. If patients are using a, a plethora of controlled substances, increasing, which would increase a patient's risk, we may want to educate on increasing monitoring frequency. Pharmacists can um, inform providers or other clinicians about possible workarounds, false positives, false negatives. We never want to be, we never want to be punitive based on the result of a urine drug screen, but instead make sure that we follow up with a urine drug test for a more definitive result. But Pharmacists can also educate patients. So a lot of times, if we don't explain the purpose of urine drug monitoring to patients, they may think that their provider doesn't trust them, doesn't respect them, and is trying to catch them in a lie or trying to um, catch whether or not they're uh, misusing their drugs or, or, or using other illicit substances. But that's not necessarily what we're doing, right? If we are performing urine drug monitoring to make sure that the patients are safely using medication, right? So detect medication use, improve medication adherence, making sure that whatever the patient is using is safe for that patient. So providing education to the patient on why we're performing urine drug monitoring and that it is not meant uh, to be punitive or is not meant to, you know, is not designed to catch a patient doing something that they that they shouldn't be doing. So pharmacists in any setting can certainly play a role, um, even if they're not specifically in a clinic setting where they're asked to interpret urine drug screening. Emily, thank you so much for um, this review and this discussion. This is important. I want to let our listeners know the APHA has a library of content in podcasting form. If you didn't realize this, take a look, pharmacists.com forward slash podcasts. That's plural. That's pharmacists.com forward slash podcasts. And there you can listen to all of the Locked On Pharmacy special editions, some of our conference uh, coverage, as well as the first fill, um, the only podcast that lets pharmacists earn this bite-sized continuing education credit on the go delivered in short five minute segments. Emily, thank you so much for being on Lockdown Pharmacy and being a pharmacist and all of the work that you're doing. This has been a very interesting uh, discussion and we so much appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. <laughs>